1: Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in from Los Angeles, California. This is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! It's the Boo Crew
0: Podcast, episode number eight.
1: How's that for a slice of fried gold?
2: Yeah, boy!
0: We are joined on this one by multi-award-winning magician, entertainer, musician, and actor Rob Zabrecki. He's a mainstay at the world-famous Magic Castle here in Hollywood, and is also one of the mediums in their Houdini seance room. We find out how horror influences him, his amazing encounter with Michael Jackson, and much more. Throughout this episode, you'll hear music from our featured band, Dead Man's Bones, a project that Zabrecki was a part of in the stage version of many of their shows. After meeting Ryan and Zach from the group, if you haven't heard them, it's the definitive Halloween record, okay? Backed by a children's choir from the Silver Lake Conservatory. It's absolute brilliance. Get it on iTunes and everywhere you stream music. Facebook.com slash Dead Man's Bones as well. But now, it's off
1: to the movies. (laughs) Why are you
0: doing this to us? Because you're a home...
1: This is the Boo Crew. Oh, you're
3: gonna lose your soul tonight.
1: Just cuts of new stuff.
3: Here's
1: Sweet Screams. Leave us
3: alone! But
4: we've just started. Ah!
0: Leave us alone! The Strangers Pray at Night, written by Brian Bertino, who actually wrote the first one. It was originally announced in 2009, and here it is now, directed by Johannes Roberts, who is also responsible for an amazing shark attack movie, 47 Meters, starring mandy moore
3: that was amazing movie, which was too.
0: seriously incredible
2: yeah by the way you know there's a sequel to that being made 48 meters Forty-eight mm-hmm. meters. nice for real yeah. literally extra yeah. Meter. Yeah. Yeah. they're adding they're adding a meter of terror
3: wow <laughs> that, that
0: extra is a lot of fear in that last meter
3: i can imagine
0: so let's talk about the strangers prey at night
3: it was amazing it was so good i was so scared and it was so well done and i just was so anxious the whole time i just i was freaking out the Surprises were so good The cast was awesome And the story was good And the music I feel like In the Stranger movies The music plays Such a strong role It's like Complete silence And then Crazy music And you hear it Over and over again And this one had like An 80s theme To the music Everybody should go see it It's so good
0: <laughs> <laughs> The director was yeah. Definitely going for An 80s retro feel He actually brought a couple movies as reference that he wanted to kind of pay homage to. One of them was Christine and another one was well movies of John Carpenter. He the, yep. he used the fog as a reference and basically Thanks. used the fonts from the Halloween movies. It looked like in the title sequence and, right. and end credits. It looked That's like right. that anyway. Very stylized late 70s early 80s fonts. The music was a lot of that John Carpenter esque synth scores and he used a lot of actual 80s songs yep. playing throughout the movies as kind of sound soundtrack points, too. What did you guys think of it in comparison to the first one? First one came out like 10 years ago, Lives Tyler, Scott Speedman.
5: First movie really creeped me up. I mean, on so many levels. Because you walk into a horror movie and you're expecting like, okay, well, here are the tropes. Here's the final girl. This is what's going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. But that movie, you only have two characters. You just don't know where it's going to go. You know, to that final scene in the movie. I think that's one of the most terrifying scenes in horror cinema because... You associate sunlight with safety. Right, like yeah. sun comes right. up, everyone's
0: yes. okay, yeah, the last hit. person yeah. lived, yeah, yada, yeah yada, the yada, Monsters yada.
2: go away when the sun comes up. Yeah, out. that's yeah. true, that's true.
3: Kind of that... like The Purge. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly.
5: <laughs> now, the second movie has a lot of that all over again. It leaves you with that feeling, much like when I was a kid when I saw Helter Skelter, and that movie creeped me out. It has a feeling where you're like, you know, I think I can predict who's going to be, the, you know, the, the, the hero here. Who's going to, you know, who's going to have the one-liner and who's going to say the funny thing and kill everybody. And it's like, nope, you can't predict. This movie is very unpredictable. And it's got some great scenes where you don't know where it's going to go, what is going to happen, and it's truly terrifying.
0: But it's got some great cinematography. One thing that makes it a lot different from the first one is Johannes' approach in using those kind of late 70s, early 80s horror movie techniques. As far as how he'd bring the scares, he'd show the audience the horror before the actors would see it. And you'd get a lot of those panning shots where you'd see something in the background and the camera wouldn't focus on it and it'd be onto something else. But you're like, like oh, I, I, I saw something, saw something yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and not announce it, which is, again.
5: What
2: just, is that called? Is that called Chekhov's gun? When you see something in the background? and
0: Oh, is there a name? probably yeah, is a name no. to it. It's
2: like there's the Chekhov's gun is different. That, that's oh. when you know there's a gun well maybe it is actually the okay. audience knows something that the other characters don't correct? okay it yeah creates, yes. it that
0: exactly attention. yeah exactly i, think there's, I, I believe there's one of those scenes
2: is. where i'm like i, I told these guys i'm like hey, i noticed something on the wall <laughs> yeah. and it's now missing right and it's gonna come back watching
5: that's why
0: i didn't even out. know yeah there's yeah. one scene yeah, like I that i didn't notice even notice they do that
2: maybe not so cleverly but in the in the first one they do it when when the baghead guy you know when it's just Liv tyler before ben from felicity comes back right She's standing there Freaked out I think she's staring At the door And he comes through A hallway behind her
4: Oh and right And just sort right, of
2: appears right. Yes And then vanishes Yes So you yeah. know that he has Access to the house But the next time we see him Is through through the window Right So she thinks Everyone's still outside Right And
0: it right. creates that Really amazing tension Yep The Strangers movies the, Both of them Do that tension thing So well Oh And the man. audience Was freaking the fuck Dude, out yes, yes. I've never seen I've never been in a horror movie Where yeah. the audience was, was that freaked out yeah, By everything wow. that was going on It was on. so fun yeah <laughs> there's yeah i mean there was cheers there's
3: yells you know, there's
0: you know it was great man it there's really one fun. shot
5: that stood out you i'm of course i'm not going to spoil it but it's the pool scene. Yes. It's a great, super wide-angle shot. It reminds me a lot of uh, John Carpenter, like a setup. And just the way that, that whole scene unfolds and what, what he does with the music and the pool and the water, it's so, it's, it's fantastic. He did a lot of that, I- including the opening scene. So the opening scene of the movie with a Kim Wilde song, a Kids in America song, is playing, and you're like, oh, cool, it's in the soundtrack. And you realize it's not in the soundtrack. It's playing in the car. So it cuts from soundtrack music To music from the car. I love that stuff. And then it cuts to the point of view of the people in a house hearing the song from the car in the distance.
2: That's cool. It's
5: so cool how you you work that scene out. It's so, so much fun, man. So it
2: sounds like they take basically the premise from the first movie, which is super simple, part of why it works so well and just, like, cranks it up.
0: Yes. Yeah, it really no. does crank it up. And it, yeah. uh, the setting is a trailer park this time around, which is interesting because the spaces are a whole lot more smaller and confined than yes. the big house that Live Tyler and Scott right. Speedman were in in the it first one. looks like one. they leave the house, too, as opposed to the first one. Yeah, well, because they're at a basically like a trailer park resort. Resort, right. yeah. So there's more room to play with, it's which like is interesting outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. but smaller contained spaces to navigate inside, right. which is really interesting because as soon as the movie starts, like, how are they going to? There's really nowhere to hide. right? And that's kind of what makes it really interesting. Right. So, from the trailer, it's unclear who the strangers are. This time. Are they
2: the same so strangers? So, they are very good question. Without spoiling I anything.
5: Was, okay. I was thinking the same thing, too. I'm like, are these the same three people from the first movie? Now, I'm not going to confirm or deny, but one of the characters says something that makes you think about it. Because I was thinking, are these just three new
2: murders right. that are following the tracks of those, you know... Is it the same mask? Yes.
4: Yes. yes. Mask.
3: yes. 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 These movies were based on the Ketty murders? A couple... St- yes. Yeah,
0: it was a couple things they were based on, like three main things. But yes. yeah, Lauren, you could talk about the Keddie... Cabin murders?
3: No, you can. You want me to? <laughs> nope, it's, it's okay. the Sue
0: Sharp it's- family, right? Yeah, the <laughs> Keddie Cabin Murders happened in 1981 in Plumas County, California. A mother and her five kids go to a cabin resort. The eldest daughter goes to stay at her friend's cabin, comes back to get some clothes. Everybody in the cabin's been massacred, basically. Wow. And it's an unsolved crime the original story was based in part on that and then also as leo had mentioned before the manson family murders i believe that was
5: the was that the la bianca murders where they was testifying the famous line in the strangers where they you know they ask
2: in the first movie where they asking why are you doing this to us and then the line is because you were home it was something like that they had a line similar to that sort of those la murders, murders yeah the tone was that cold indifference it doesn't matter. We don't care who you are. Right.
0: Or who they were. <laughs> right. They just... And then, I mean, the freaky thing is that stuff happens. I think that's another thing that makes these movies so terrifying. Right. Because yeah. you could picture your, yourself in the, in the situations. Yeah. People <laughs> have been in that situation. Yeah. Another true event that it's based on is that the writer, Brian Bertino, had an incident when he was about 11 years old or so, and his parents were out. A girl came knocking on his door, asked for someone who wasn't there, who right. didn't live right. there. And then the next day finds out that she was part of a group that was burglarizing and robbing all the homes in the area. So when they say that the second one is based on a true story, they've asked Johannes about that, too. And he said well, it's based on the, you know, the, the original right. story. The, the, that, the first yeah, movie. Yeah, the same, this right. is the first movie. Wait, yeah. th- so does it say? It does, right on the title cards. It's yes. really based interesting. Based on a true story. Based on true events. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah.
5: I caught two times in this movie, once where they pay homage to Scream, mm-hmm. yes. and once to Texas Chainsaw
0: Massacre. A killer tribute to Texas Chainsaw <laughs> yeah. Massacre. That was so cool. So great. And the genius shot. Yeah. yeah. It was really, really cool. It's
5: well done. I mean, you get these characters who end up with maybe a knife, maybe a gun, right? And you're like, okay, well, you know, here comes a hero, here comes a one-liner, and it's like, you don't get that. It's almost as if you were put in that situation, what would you do? Would you be frightened as hell? Would you be... Hissing your pants, walking around and stumbling, not you know, not babbling, not sure what to do. Because I know I would. Yeah, I mean I'd be fucking scared. Yeah, and the
0: movie does a great way of putting you into the story like that. The actors act authentic to yes, how we felt, would behave. Yeah, you it know felt real. I mean? It felt very real. Yeah. And also, the, the beginning is like, you know, again, when I, I was talking to Leo about this too. Lauren, I don't know if you felt the same way when it started off. It was like, okay, it's a little bit slow. Right. But then you quickly realize how important it was that it did start that way mm-hmm. because by the time the action starts, you're really invested in the dynamics of the characters and their backstory. Yes. And really nice. it, you really care about what. What's happening? You right. you are sad when yes. things happen, and you know it really makes you feel right. inside the story. It was yeah, it makes it really immersive. Yeah. See,
3: I didn't feel it was slow at all. I, I mean, I like to get to know these people and what they were about and the backstory. I mean that interest me so I didn't
5: I would say it was very good character
0: development
3: yeah and it wasn't like super long before no. you were invested in them and cared if shit was gonna happen to them
0: but it really did paint a picture of who they were did a really good job at it and it was a girl from a TV show you watch right
3: the Fosters.
0: the Fosters. yeah, yeah. Bailey Madison
3: Yes. Oh, she's great. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. Really good. She was such a good actress and
0: her brother's played by Bill Pullman's son, lewis Pullman. That's right. Oh. And then Christina Hendricks and Martin Henderson rounding yeah. out the mm-hmm. cast as a parents.
3: But yeah, you really cared about these people. Did. It was so good. If you're a horror fan, you're going to love it. Your heart's going to be racing the whole time and you're going to think what the fuck
0: You're going to be it? very frustrated and it's a ride. It really is like walking through yeah. a haunt, a haunted attraction. Yeah I, was tell- <laughs> yeah, I was
5: telling Lauren, this is the first time since 10 Cloverfield Lane that I actually felt like anxiety because it just felt real. It's just like oh it's like this is awful like what the hell you know
3: it breaks all the rules yes. like you think it should follow these rules and you're like oh shit that person can't get hurt no no <laughs> it's a fun ride
0: I will say definitely see it in the theater if you can because it is something that everybody in the audience takes part in that that energy is very yeah, palpable great. and it is awesome it's yes. fun to experience that yeah. with everybody because yeah, everybody's yeah. going oh
4: god yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Is Tamara home? I think you have the wrong trailer. Make it up. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto
0: the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining us in the Speakeasy studio with the Boo Crew, our guest is a creative force. Having first woven himself truly into the fabric of Los Angeles and into music history as frontman for the new wave post-punk group Possum Dixon, active through the 90s. He is an actor, appearing in scores of short films, music videos, and feature-length pictures, including 2014's Dark Fantasy Lost River, 2015's Horrifying Decay, roles in a ghost story, and the upcoming supernatural movie Boo. He is a multi-award-winning magician at LA's world-famous Magic Castle. He's performed all around the globe, making him world-famous himself, reinventing the art form with his whimsical, unique, and dark take on magic through a character he has created known as the Odd Man. We are incredibly honored to welcome Rob Zabrecki. Yeah. yeah! Thank you so much, man, for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's <laughs> quite an intro. I want to start off with what would be your first memory of magic?
6: First memory of magic? Oh boy, we have to go back in time a little bit to uh, Bret Hart Elementary School,
4: <laughs> right here, in, right here in Burbank, California.
6: Wow! When a School assembly was called one afternoon and um, Ronald McDonald was there to talk to us (laughs) about being good children and staying off drugs and being good to our siblings and doing the right thing. I was very surprised to learn that Ronald McDonald was a magician and he was going to pick some kid from the audience To come on stage and help him with a routine that was going to show all of us something to better ourselves. (laughs) 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 I was definitely a really shy, introverted kid. I had all these warts on my hands. About 48 warts total uh, at one point. So my hands were always stuffed in my pockets. And they were always just like jammed anywhere where I didn't want the other kids to see them because it was... It was kind of a nightmare having all these warts. So the hands are in the pockets and I looked down and Ronald McDonald's scheming and I just knew I was gonna get picked. <laughs> I just knew it. I just I was you know, the kid that looks down is usually sometimes a good kid to pick because he's not the pick me, pick me mess with the magician fellow. You know, he's like probably gonna you know he might pee himself but he's not gonna, you know <laughs> he's not gonna hurt anyone right it's gonna be a good show no, <laughs> yeah exactly it's gonna be, yeah uh, but it wasn't a good show so he picks me and i go up there and i'm just so mortified just already just i just really don't want any part of this and he starts telling me instructing me to take this this piece of paper and create a cone and put the cone over my head I don't see this but he's pouring evaporated milk into my head Uh, and, and from a milk pitcher and the milk is poured into my head and it actually vanishes it's still in there
4: <laughs> it
6: went in and it just never came out. And everyone, so, you know, and I'm standing there with my hands, just like, mm, like the worst possible scenario for me. And everyone's laughing and I don't know why, you know. And he sends me back to my seat. And that to me was kind of what magic was because it was like this sort of public embarrassment as a child. I didn't understand the bigger purpose of why he was there. I just went, uh oh. And it just, I kind of yeah. dove into this negative. Space. So it wasn't really good. It was actually <laughs>
4: pretty terrible. Traumatizing, yes.
6: Traumatizing, yeah, yeah tra- definitely traumatizing.
0: <laughs> so you carry this trauma with you for years and years. And then at the end of the 90s, your work with Possum Dixon kind of evolves into becoming a magician. What was the creative process In that transition Was there something That reignited Your interest in magic Was it on the road With Possum Dixon Was there something In particular There was no re-anything It was I hate magic
4: <laughs>
6: so It was like <laughs> what? Oh what? Get me away From anything that You know Cause I You know See I grew up In 70s and 80s Where magic was The guys in purple jumpsuits Diving around And you know Mullets and tigers And it was a fantasy world That I didn't want Any part of It wasn't something That interested me me and I just—it was just—I thought it was stupid. I really—I mean, that's the best word I can use to describe it. Just didn't—it connected with me in, in, a, in a bad way. I was on tour with the band with Possum Nixon, and we were in—we were in Baltimore, Maryland. We loaded our gear into a club, and we've got a few hours to kill before our show and soundcheck. And so I'm walking through downtown Baltimore, which is very old and set in its ways, very much like Burbank was in the, you know, 70s and 80s. And it's a really hot day and I'm like, well, I love John Waters movies and so I'd like to go pay tribute to John Waters and see if I can find a, a film location or two where maybe he made Pink Flamingos or Female Trouble or or one of those movies so I head off and I'm walking around and I think I've got a couple I think I spot the place where Divine it's the dog poop (laughs) store my work is done (laughs) it's a good day and then I'm walking around and I see a store with an air conditioner and it's hot it's just a hot day and I'm looking to tuck in some place to cool off that's it it's as simple as that it could have been a bakery or a shoe store or or the library, but it just happened to be Kenzo's Yogi Magic Mart right there in downtown baltimore so i'm like oh all right here we go Could kill 10 minutes so i walk inside and i'm looking around and it's stuff you would see you know stenciled rabbits and a straight jacket and then in the center of the room is a a man who, who didn't look unlike rod serling in the twilight zone the whole thing had this kind of feeling where it's like i'm the guy in there that's it It's uh, cool enough and he's looking at me and he can probably guess by my appearance i'm not in there to buy you know supplies <laughs> uh, so uh, I felt guilty Yeah, for 10 minutes I, I thought well, I should probably buy something I'm, I've now cooled off make a nominal purchase kind of approached him and I said do you have a, a, something I might be able to perform for a couple hundred people at a nightclub and he said maybe what about this <laughs> and he reaches into his, his pocket and he produces this little colored handkerchief and he, he pushes it into his thumb blows on his fist and presto, change of that thing was gone. Completely vanished. Two things happened in my mind. One, I was absolutely astounded by it. It was a miracle. Like, I saw that thing go in his fist. His <laughs> sleeves were rolled. Like, I saw this. I was certain of that. A. And B, it was for sale. For $10, I could buy this. And I can do this for indie rockers after midnight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Buy it. Learn the trick as it, you know, crudely. Shove the apparatus in my pocket and forget all about it. And that's it. And so I forget it, you know kind of forgot about it. I didn't know it was in my front pocket. And uh, it is after midnight. We're in our third song, and our guitar player broke a string. And I remembered the thing in my pocket, the apparatus. <laughs> perfect. perfect. Perfect, right? So perfect. the the difference, the, but what happened was that a little alarm kind of went off in my mind. And I thought, well, I could try to vanish that thing again. Or... Ding, and then out came the words. Does anybody have a wrapped condom? <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know where it came from. It just was like. It just seemed like the, because I knew I could manage something small with yeah. this device, huh. and I was like, but in no time, boom. <laughs> so I say, watch this, and I and you know my friend, our guitar player is tuning up. I'm like, okay, I take it out, and very crudely, I you know put it in my hand, and you know kind of. I don't. I doubt I even did that. (laughs) Like, oh you know. And the audience went like they went crazy. It was really like amazing. Now at the time, like I was the band was we had been in the band for eight years. I was totally over it and done with like a lot of the aspects of being in a band. We're not fun anymore. So we have like a couple more shows. We're in New York the next night. Maybe Boston. Maybe two, three more shows. So every night after the the next time, like, hey, look, third song, whatever's going on, you tune up. I'm doing the
4: thing. like,
6: now it's like this cute little funny aside you know, yeah. for me. To, and, and they all loved it. Like, oh, that was amazing. That was cool, man. Do that again. So, yeah, we I did. In New York, it worked just as good. And we finished up the tour and then we'd drive back 3,000 miles from New York to L.A. And every major city we'd pull in, I'd go in the hotel room. I'd drop off my bags find the yellow pages, M, magic shop, okay, I'm getting in a taxi. And I would fly over, because there was still a a fair amount of mom and pop magic shops at that point. And I would go into every magic shop I could and spend 20, 30 bucks. And I just started, like, my mind just started going on. It was like a frenzy. You you understand the frenzy of wanting things. (laughs) Give me more, you know. And so you're like, well, what else, you know? And, And so... I started acquiring a small collection of magic tricks and it was just there was so and and one was just as fascinating as the next like learning the method and sort of reading you know about different ways to do it and then finding my own kind of way to play around with it and very quickly because I was a performer and I I was in the arts in a way like it was I, I saw that there was a little there's creativity to be kind of you know that I was going to be able to invest in that and then get a you know uh, and there I could see a kind of a result from it so came back to LA and my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife had a pass to go to the Magic Castle she managed the Viper Room on Sunset Boulevard and was constantly getting one of the perks you know running a nightclub
0: is you get to go places
6: right. and so she says hey, well, there's this place and I'm like oh my god I'd love
0: to go that sounds great now before you go on with your story could tell people who are listening who might not know or have heard of the Magic Castle basically oh, what it is yeah
6: well I mean she gets this pass to go to this private club Now, this private club is a club for magicians and their guest members that is set in a Victorian mansion that was built in 1908. It's one of the last standing mansions in the Hollywood Hills, particularly in the area of just it's just right near Hollywood and Highlander. It's near a very famous intersection. So you can't believe this place exists and you have to be invited to go there. And there's a dress code and there's all this protocol. It almost seems impossible that we got this invitation. I didn't have a, I certainly didn't have a tie i god knows w- what i put together to
4: <laughs> thank god
6: there's you no know, photos of, like, what would look like that but we i did pull it off and and we you know we got in and it was incredible it was this place that was shrouded in secrecy and Immediately, I saw there was an art in it that magic was very much like music. I started seeing these posters on the walls, and I started getting these flashbacks to being a kid and loving music, and and very much like going in a record store and saying, Oh, this cheap trick? What's this kiss? ACDC? Like, there's one record after the next that's just as fascinating as the one before it. And you got to know everything. You got to read all the liner notes and go buy Cream Magazine or whatever, you know, and just start. It was an obsession. So, going to Magic Castle was like, Who's Carter? Who's, oh, Thurston? I have Houdini, I heard of him. So he started kind of like, and, and this is pre-internet, so it's, it's all like nutty. You just start, my brain was just like, it was just set on fire that night in the best way. And I fell in love with it. We saw some shows. I can't really remember who we saw exactly, but I just remember leaving going, this is an art form that is greatly neglected. And I want in. I don't know what, I don't know how. I, I can't even think ahead of myself, but I just know that this is a beautiful thing. And I want to know as much as I can about this world. I still feel the same way. I mean, I, I, I actually don't feel that much different when I go there now. Although I know there's 20 years of knowledge that's, you know, I've, I've got, there's there's so much that I don't know. Like music, it's endlessly fascinating. There's always more information. There's there's the the family tree and all the, the nuttiness that goes along with any art form and performers within that art form. So that's uh, that's man. the long story, but you asked.
5: Man, thank, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Dude, thank God you're here, man. I want to know about the repository. <laughs> that room that has all the <laughs> secrets to <laughs> magic.
6: <laughs>
5: well, you won't know about
4: that. <laughs> hey, guys,
5: I tried. <laughs> it only exists in Clyde Barker's Lord of Illusions. <laughs>
0: That's right. Magic Castle was in Lord of Illusions. That's right. That's right. When you started going, what kind of role did the castle play in your life? Were you going like every week? Were you? I mean, was it becoming As, a regular part of what you were doing? Were you meeting people there? A the social thing for you? What? Did it... All of the above. Wow. It was
6: like you know, you're a kid and you go on the haunted mansion. You're like, how do I get back on that? Yeah. <laughs> how? What, what? where's the line again you just you know it's like putting the needle back on the record like I gotta hear that song one more time and that's what the Magic Castle was because there's it, there was it's a massive place first of all and then there's performance rooms where there's close-up magic and parlor magic and stage magic and it's seven nights a week the performers turn over once a week so if you go once a week you're gonna see all these different performers you've never seen before and they're all different of course and then some are you, I remember early on not caring for some and really loving others so there's always this you could make it's like seeing a band. You could make these kind of like you're attracted to some things and other things you you know, weren't exactly maybe as into as much. That just became my life was like my day job was playing music and sort of finishing off a dream, a childhood dream of, you know, being in a band and, and doing all that stuff. But there was no passion in, in it at all. It was just a question of when can I go back to this club? I want to see more performers. I would like to be a member at this place. That was like, I remember thinking that this is a club that I want to be involved with. Because prior to that, you know, I'd been seeing bands since I was 12, 13 years old. And I'd, I'd been in that clubs like that where music, you know, the music world, music community, stuff like that. It had just uh,
0: taken its toll and I was ready to, I was done with it. The first time that Lauren and I actually went went to the magic castle was through a mommy and me group and one of the ladies knew a waitress and that's how we were able to get a whole group of us in and we actually ended up bringing everybody in this room in at, at one point yes. over to the castle yeah. once we became members because again we had an experience where we walked in and instantly felt you know magically drawn to the place there's something about it is just this it's hard to really pinpoint what it is i use the word cinematic it's whimsical seriously heavily magnetic energies that were pulling us into this place and the first performance. That we ended up seeing was actually you. It was? It was. And you were performing with the Unholy Three at the time. That was the first show we ended up seeing in the the Palace of Mystery. Being at the castle for the first time, seeing your act, what it had evolved into at that point, you know, I guess from you being there years and years prior and developing and creating this, this character and this unique act was exactly... What I wanted to see at that point that night, a lurch like character straight out of like a Charles Adams comic takes the stage. But what I loved about it was that there was this line of being oh so sinister, but at the same time, almost wholesome, bringing back memories of like the Munsters and Adams family and Universal Monsters. There's nothing really, like, rude about the performance or evil or anything like that. It was off in a way that made you identify with the eccentricities of the character in a clean way, but still enjoy the darkness. And I've always wondered about that. When you were creating this character, how you achieved that balance, and was that your goal with the odd man character? Yeah,
6: the answer is it was the goal, because if you're just a creep, Nobody wants to see just a creep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it works in other art forms. You can watch like Nick Cave with the birthday party and he's a creep, or Lux Interior with the Cramps and he's just creepy all the way through and it works great. But when you've got this ephemeral thing with like a magic performance where you're bringing people on stage and you're having conversations, you you got to there has to be a level of empathy within that performance. And people have to end up walking away feeling that there's you connect with them otherwise it doesn't the magic won't work and the, the, the performance won't work i guess that could be said about you know actors in any movie or play too there's got to be something that you dig into it so when we were building kind of creating the character which was co-created with my girlfriend and now wife we had this kind of thesis of seeing the beauty in the darkness that was always the thing and with that in mind that would led to choices for finding material. And always having that, there was that niceness where, like, you didn't, kind of don't know where the line is, you know, which makes it fun. And there was a common note that she would hear. and She'd sit in the back and watch these like hundreds of performances and we're getting this together. And she'd, and the thing was, like, the, the girls would say, and sometimes the guys, okay, this guy's creepy. I mm, <laughs> <laughs> don't know about this. And at the end... I'd have sex with him.
4: <laughs>
6: you know? So, like, there's this, somewhere in there and I don't even know where it is. There's that thing right. where, like, I don't, it, maybe it's more her design. Like, my wife's, you know, really tuned this thing. But there's a turn in it where you, like, you, you realize that he's not all bad and you, there's, right. no, you know, there's something about him that's, you know, affable or
0: Right, yeah. No, I mean, there's totally, yeah, you, totally. Can, you can relate to the character because, you know, everyone has felt like the outcast. That's what the odd man is, has become.
2: It's awkward, you right. know, engaging with the audience like that and people you know me myself as an introvert feeling like the kid who looks down and tries not to get picked i've been picked at the magic castle to come up
4: <laughs> first
0: time we brought you actually it was horrible yeah. was it, yeah. it horrible yeah. it was
2: horrible i got condensed milk poured on my head it was, i don't know why they let ronald mcdonald perform at that place anymore but no, he's lactose <laughs> yeah. but that's what i love about the character is that it's sort of embracing that awkwardness and really rolling with it. Yeah. As, as an awkward person, I really appreciate that.
6: Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's been my kind of life's crusade to make that work, you know. Um, I just enjoy performing it so much because it connects with people, all kinds of people, really. I mean, I think it's a, it's just a good opportunity to kind of make that have a connection. I'm curious. Did you have any other characters that failed? Nope. Piece. well yeah m- yes his name was Rob Zabrecki <laughs> no! oh, yes.
4: wow. so pre-character <laughs> yeah.
0: well there yeah. must have been the Rob Zabrecki who was learning effects and auditioning to be at the Magic Castle Oh yes, that was there. probably a very different Rob Zabrecki <laughs> Trevor I'll tell you about
4: it. <laughs> so
6: well, the reason that the, the character was created because I didn't want to be myself well, the sure. thing was like and I still don't want to be myself I don't think I'm an interesting person at all but when I put on that suit and I kind of get into the mode and I go in there. I think, well, I've got something to say now. Mm. But as as Rob Zabrecki, that and there's witnesses to this. When I was <laughs> my, my good friend, who's a well-known magician, who saw these early performances, you know, this wasn't a fish-to-water situation with you. And my my ass would shake was the thing. I'd, and I would come out <laughs> and I'd sweat. So there's that going on. And I didn't know I wasn't comfortable performing magic, and I wasn't good at it. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just this deft guy. I was never technically a great musician, so it wasn't like I was just going to pick up a deck of cards and suddenly do these great flourishes and you know, do this seamless thing. It was just like, right. okay, and you're going to think of a card. And uh, and it's just like, it's all the nerves. It's like, they, for some reason, for me, they just went to my butt. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that, that just
6: people are kind of like, what? Like, it's, not, it's not, it's just no good is coming at any of this. It's so bad and I'm sweating and I don't know how to, I'm still figuring out how to get clothes that work for that. It was really messed up, but I had this burning desire to do it was the thing so this is like getting my audition together to become a member of the magic castle and getting you know my first few effects down were just they were so bad that i think the character kind of came sort of was a a byproduct of like i don't have to be myself and if i if i'm someone else oh this is so much easier it just became this i was able to it's like a veneer and i and at the end i get my life back (laughs) and i could not have to worry but and i just there's a real disconnect with like all that stuff for me that was a great idea yeah
0: thanks <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, with that character being the dark lovable character that he is would it be fair to say you're a fan of horror films or that horror films influence the creation of that character whatsoever 100
6: percent. yeah
0: sure what kind of movies in particular were you would you draw from or what
6: kinds influence you there's something about the universal monsters that each one of them and there's something lovable and incredible about each one of them where you can fall in love with them in your own way and that's something that's amazing they're all just so iconic they're up there um i mean psycho any of the hitchcock plot lines rope uh hitchcock's rope is a great thing where like you just it's all right there under your nose the whole time and you know what's going on but you're still tense watching this movie and it's it's wonderful for that reason German Expressionism, all that, all those early Nosferatu, stuff like that. And then French New Wave, I guess, is like, that's more of my personal taste of like those natural kind of long, really living in the space. That's uh, attractive to me as well. Are
3: there any new horror that's inspired you? Anything that you've seen recently that has blown you away? And
6: Yeah, definitely. Um, Babadook was like pretty, man. Oh, that was man. Yeah, That's great. That was the last, I think, I mean, that's maybe five years old now. Yeah. I guess. yeah, it's Australian, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one really put me on the edge of my seat. And then Black Mirror, I, I think yeah. Black Mirror, yeah. Black Mirror, yeah. so Great. good. Did you have
4: you seen the last? The
6: yeah, yeah, yeah. season.
4: Uh huh. It's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. yeah
6: I mean, you know, some episodes are definitely better than others, but it's yeah. generally it's like it's really pretty scary stuff. And, yeah. You know.
4: Yeah, but fun.
6: not always
4: I'm always looking forward to the next one
6: yeah that's true but I love bad horror movies too I mean Ed Wood obviously anything lo-fi and crummy is always something that's gonna you know hold and watch the Roger Corman movie stuff like that right right well I can
0: definitely see elements of all those things in the odd man character you know specifically universal and going into Alfred Hitchcock stuff and the expressionism stuff too like Nosferatu and everything and your use of silence during your act as well
6: yeah and well don't yeah I mean and then all the great silent film stars Harold Lloyd in particular I love I love his work that's the focal point of my life is art I guess and music and movies and stuff so there's there's it comes from from so many different
0: areas. I've seen you countless times performing in different places, teamed up with different magicians and variety acts. And one thing that I always find fascinating that you're able to do, you just don't simply go up there and do your act. You always kind of almost like reimagine or retell your story and weave it in with the other acts into their narrative and create kind of a new space for the odd man. Like the last one I saw, I think it was with Tina Leonard and you did like an impromptu dance routine at the end. And, you know, you do these <laughs> interesting things that it's completely different every time you're performing, depending who's on the stage with you. Do you get together like a week in advance and sit down and write it? Like, okay, here's how this character is going to fit in with you guys. Here's what we should all do. How does that work? You just explained it. I mean, it's, yeah,
6: it's it's preparation. There it was nothing impromptu about that dance. It was, sure. oh, we're rehearsing this. Thing. Yeah. That's, for me, the opportunity. I know my act. It, you know, every magician knows his act, but... When you have chances to work with other performers, you have an opportunity to write, produce, and direct something new each time. And it's not that as hard as it would seem. You know, it's like you can kind of sit down for an hour and brainstorm over coffee. What will I do this and you do that? Well, what if we were brothers and we hate each other and we're fighting over this thing? Oh, yeah, let's try that. And, you know, you can kind of use that as a a jump off pointer. What if we told the history of magic in a a 30-minute show what if we told the future of magic in a 30-minute show so it's like stuff like that where it's just like some someone's got some dumb idea and you go yeah that might work right and, and then some <laughs> one jerk grabs a pencil and, you, know, like, you got you know 50 ideas and right, like right. maybe one of them are decent and then by the end of the run you have something that you're not completely embarrassed about yeah that's kind of how my whole creative life is. worked
4: <laughs>
0: well, it's cool because, again, I've seen countless other acts and we've seen lots of magic acts, you know, now just through the magic castle and, you know, being exposed to magic in general. And I don't see that happening a lot. I don't see a lot of other people doing that. And kudos to you for yeah, for thanks. doing that, I, making I think, that extra effort. I think
6: magicians are different than other performers like actors or even writers for that matter because it, it's so hard. magic is really hard I think people forget and overlook that just to be a good sleight of hand artist or just to be a good magician is difficult and then to try to be an actor on top of that and write even if it is a simple narrative it's hard it's an extra step and and or extra steps I should say and most people don't want to do that um, but for me I, I just look at it as like wow we get only get so much time on this earth So do as much cool stuff as possible. Right, right.
5: (laughs) Do you? I was curious. Do you shape your routine so that it's a timeless act, or do you kind of feel like you have to evolve
6: with the times? I like to think of it as more of a, a timeless thing. Like I, I don't just I don't never mention you know politics or current no, affairs no. or anything like That's that. Clever, yeah. There's never really been any need or desire desire to to do that. And the acts that do that, I I usually often it's a, a cheap trick to you know you you throw a Trump right. joke and then everyone's mm. gonna groan one way or the right. other. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> right.
4: Uh,
0: in around two thousand nine, you became involved in the stage show for the band that has the crown for kings of halloween and that would be dead man's bones and i was wondering how that came to be
6: well it came to be when i was performing one night at Brookledge, and Brookledge, um if you don't know is the home that the larson family uh, who started the magic castle that's their private residence it's in hancock park and in the backyard of the residence lives a beautiful antique theater that holds about 100 seats and it was once uh, a showroom and um a Performing space for uh, magicians in the L.A. area that included Orson Welles, uh, Joseph Cotton, Rita Hayworth... And every famous magician you've ever heard—if you know magic—they went to Brookledge. That's where they would look at tricks. So they'd buy tricks. It was the hub, the cool spot for for magic before the Magic Castle, which it's, opened in '63.
0: It's hard to believe it exists. <laughs> I've been there. I've Austin and Rachel and Lauren have been there yeah. too. It's yeah. hard to believe this place exists. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah,
6: it is a it is a fan. It is like walking into an, a Disney attraction. Mm-hmm. It really, it really is astounding. Yeah, and I helped Erica Larson uh, get get those shows these these variety shows kind of going because she had lived there and the theater has, was kind of shut down for a long period of time and, and my wife her name is Tommy we went there for a, a party one night for Erica's birthday and we, went, we were in this theater and we just thought well why don't we Kind of variety show. Let's let's put a show on back here. You, back once again. Let's turn the lights on and see if we can't cobble together some rock, couple rock bands maybe, and get some comics and let's do a night of this something. Mm-hmm. And so that started what this show called the Brookledge Follies. And so before it was, but that that was maybe three years into the the, the name was kind of established later. First of was just, we were just putting on shows. It was kind of like these fun underground like parties basically. And so I do the show one night and, I, and I'm got off stage and guy walks up to me and I, I can honestly say I didn't I had no idea who he was and he was asking me questions about my act and that's never a good sign <laughs>
4: right. you know, right. really, <laughs> right, right.
6: if you're a magician you got if you got something that is unique yeah and special you, you if you're a magician you're listening you'll know this because things will get stolen and people will just appropriate things it's just how it works it's a terrible kind of just it's just how it, it's how magic kind of works mm-hmm. so this guy's asking me a lot of questions, and I'm kind of like, "What do you? What do you want?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm just frightened. Like I just, you know. And it it was Ryan Gosling. It was the actor Ryan. I hadn't seen any of his. Well, I'd actually seen him in a movie, but I when I was talking to him, he didn't look like the guy from Half Nelson. When you see people on TV, and you see him. It's just like it didn't register. And someone pointed out. They said, "Oh, that's the you know. He's a you know. He's a well-known actor. And but he has, he asked some pretty good questions. But I was relieved to know that he didn't like he wasn't
0: going to... A rival magician or something. Yeah,
6: or like, you know, take one of the bits from the act. Yeah. Or like, oh, was that something you wrote? So he was asking like, oh, did you write that piece? Yeah, I did. Like, and it's mine. Like, exactly. that's, like that's, you know, <laughs> you get, you get really right. and you have to be because you end up calling people like who are doing your work in Las Vegas. Like, hey, you know, you really shouldn't, you can't do that. That's a that's my joke. Wow. You know, wow. And, and it's painful on both things. And it's it's just, that's a whole nother topic. But anyway, Ryan was, it turned out to be great, very quick. Quickly, I learned about his band, uh, Dead Man's Bones, and met his partner in the band, Zach Shields. And these guys were like, we were cut from the same rug as far as like they were really into live performances, and they were kind of putting on these almost circusy type of shows and weaving in you know children's choirs with their with their band. And they had this record that was I thought was was terrific and had some really good songs on it. So we started doing shows right away. It was like we just kind of I just dove in as their kind of MC for a handful of their performances around town and then we started friendship and that was it was as simple as that and he was just super supportive and then when he made his movie lost river he actually had ben Mendelssohn's role because i didn't want to be in a movie and play my magic character yeah, again yeah. It, it's kind of my cursy nightmare in a way that people will <laughs> call me and say hey you want to be on our tv show i'm like yes well he plays a yeah. rookie character. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm not right. The odd man. I'm like I I'm, ah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway he so he wrote that character in it, and I've been trying to step out of that for T V and film roles because I can do other stuff in acting. And I didn't I don't wanna get stuck doing that for the rest yeah. of my life if I don't have to. And um when it came down to casting that role, he couldn't get anyone to do a creepy MC in a weird nightclub. Took the role and yeah. So anyway that's uh, that's how that happened
0: wow and then Zach ended up putting in this is where I met Zach actually he put you in one of the shorts that he did for Fearnet I believe and it was for the trick-or-treat series yeah. he did a shorts with the character Sam uh-huh. so I think you were in making friends or yeah maybe. yeah I was yeah.
6: a, I was a uh, Frankenstein
0: yeah <laughs> just, oh wow. <laughs> that's awesome see Zach saw
6: it Zach's like yeah Zabrecki we're gonna make you gonna, you don't have to be the uh,
4: man. right we're exactly you. exactly <laughs> <laughs> Thank one <laughs> uh, other
0: thing thing at the Magic Castle, you're also one of the resident mediums at a room called the Houdini Seance Room. And I was wondering if you could explain kind of what that room is. Oh, yeah.
6: Well, the room, I kind of call it the club within the club because you've got this big private club and then there's the Houdini Seance Room and that's a separate ticket, you know, in that you have to book uh, a seance I'm not just going to be there waiting to run a Victorian's tile <laughs> seance
4: <laughs>
6: <laughs> it's booked around a dinner and it's usually it's a pretty fancy affair and it's an expense uh, to me it's an expensive ticket and uh, my wife and I had gone Three, four times when we became members because it was, well, where else can you go to get a Victorian style seance? <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure nowhere. So we loved it. And it was, it was, it was historical and that you'd learned a lot about Houdini. It was so regarding the seance, it's always uh, raising the spirit of Harry Houdini in this realm of a Victorian style seance. So, like some kind of a, teens 20s era kind of a period thing
0: really right those are relics and houdini possessions all all up in the room on display and things like that yeah (laughs) great
6: wonderful collection of houdini memorabilia and ephemera it's all beautifully displayed and there's a circular table and it's a long it's about an hour show you you know as you would know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's um you know the first sort of 20 minutes half an hour is the medium explaining the world of Houdini and why he was had a horse in the race with the mediums of the era. I perform a, a series of light seance effects. So I would say spooky magic, but performed while the lights are still on, you know, as you would guess with the Victorian style seance, the lights go down, they go off, everybody holds hands and, you know, Helter Skelter. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, the the peeing part.
4: (laughs) Uh,
6: So it's really fun. It's a but it's fun and it's there's certainly no ill will to it. We're not contacting anyone's deceased, you know, grandparents or pet or anything like that. Although I think it would be cool to like do a Karen Carpenter seance one time or like. Find someone really far out, right, 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 right. <laughs> Just be cool um, to do that, but it's all done in a, in a what I would say in a Disneyland in the '60s kind of way. Oh yeah, you right. know, no one no one's really leaving, wondering what happened. Although uh, some people do, and I, I,
4: I, I, <laughs> I um, oh my goodness, yeah. Just
6: the other week, I, oh I a woman. You know, everyone left, and I'm like, oh no, I I could just tell. And, <laughs> and she she was uh, she was very religious, and she kind of told me a lot about her faith, and that she felt something, and you know i'm just kind of forced to tell her that like i'm i'm just i'm going to get my car <laughs> yeah. go to menchie's Go
4: you know,
6: a snack and probably go watch tv um, yeah no you know it's just not like i i i, I dropped the veil like, pretty quick right, right, yeah. just not into that at all but she was but people insist they look in your eyes and like you it happened did you not feel the thing you know
4: <laughs> but, I, but I just
6: but see the thing is I've just spent an hour looking deep in your eyes saying if you believe you will receive there is something here did you not feel it you know so I've kind of I've taken them down this road and then it's like it's very much like Gene Wilder in, in Willy Wonka and right like, no, nope. <laughs> it's over right exactly
4: <laughs>
6: <laughs> you know it, I really feel that it's it's a lot like that i never really put that into words but yeah. that's it
0: yeah it know? is exactly exactly
6: uh, but it's it's a blast, and I love it because it's it's sort of a, a one-man show for an hour. You're, you're in there, and you're, you're running, you know, you're in control of this experience for these 13, 14 people that are in this room. Right. And uh, you really do take them on a, on a kind of a, a really fun, dark ride, but it's there's no one else doing it. You are the sole purpose of, you know, why they're there.
0: Right, and you become one of the... The people that people ask for again and again to do these things. Se- In fact, you also appear. I, I saw this on 2014's Ouija, the the movie Ouija. oh no way. Came out. You could watch it as a special feature. I think it was at was it at Hollywood Cemetery, or whatever. When they actually did the premiere, and they had you with the actors, and Rob did a séance with the cast. Oh, that's cool. Man. They wow. look. They looked oh, wow. legitimately <laughs> freaked out too. That, that was, yeah, that was
6: like get my car afterwards and just go. Like. <laughs> Yeah, that was like, I didn't want to have to own up to any of that. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. There's a lot of really scared people there. Yeah. Really, truly frightened people
4: there. You're doing your job right.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What do you think it is? What do you think it is that people just want to believe
6: something and you tell them to believe something and they believe you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't really feel good. Like Rob Zabrecki doesn't feel good about any of that. But idea of theater and getting out of your head and for that hour the, you're not thinking about your problems you're not thinking about the outside right. world it's like you are going into a space and a realm and that's what all good art is right I mean you go into an art gallery or you go see a band and you're like you get so into this thing for that period of time and you come out of it and you're like oh that was cool then you you know you're back i guess with the seance and it's it's such a <laughs> you're taking them into the place where it can be emotional and you're, you're almost getting into like a ah almost really you know it can be almost relit, like yeah, yeah. uh very spiritual i guess is the right, right word so and I'm not really entirely comfortable with that but I'm just comfortable enough to do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of learn learning to learning to do it did you have to look much into in, into designing the experience that you do at the séances did you take it upon yourself to look into the history of what they would do in Victorian times and the history of what a seance was.
6: Oh, that was, yeah, the big joy of that was Leo Koska, who is one of the spirit mediums, and he is, was the sole guy who had been running them since 1983. Wow. So he'd done over wow. like 5,000 of these, and I'd interviewed him at the Magic Castle, and, you know, we'd, we had great discussions about that, and he. I'd been to a couple and I I approached him and I said, listen, I don't want your job. I think seances are fascinating and I would like to learn more about doing them just for fun. If you're interested in having someone as a backup, I don't know if you would or not. I'm here. And he said, "No, yeah, I, I, I'm not interested in that. I'm, everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Go away." He did, and then he had a heart attack oh, uh, no, a, a couple oh. weeks later. Oh, later oh. that night. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah.
6: Yeah. He did. He got sick, and and uh, and it was awful. But they. He remembered me, you know, it was like I was in his mind and he said, you know, maybe this isn't a bad idea. Yeah. So, the one thing he said was, look, I do, I've i been doing it this way for all these years. Don't use my script. Don't do any of the effects that I do. When we do the dark seance, there's certain things that will happen right. as the room is. And that was this great challenge. Like, wow, okay. I Suddenly, I'm going to write myself a 30-minute script and it's going to be different than his. I'm going to tell the... General story of Houdini and the the mediums and his sort of disbelief with you know and how he was uncomfortable with all these spirit who were like crooks and charlatans. So that was really fun to learn as much as I could about that. And still, like it's and it's an endlessly fascinating uh, subject for me. And, and I've slowly been putting together a, a lecture on how nutty half of these mediums were from that era because it's just weird people that found their way into performing and (laughs) realized that at one point they could make a profit.
3: So since the castle's so old, have you seen any ghosts or heard about any ghosts that lurk around the castle?
6: I have not seen any ghosts or heard any, but there's been... Quite a few great stories. I'm not a huge believer.
0: Is there one in particular that tends to be told a lot that you could share?
6: Uh, Yeah, there's there's a story about a, a, a girl, a, a young girl that died. I forget the story exactly, but it was, she had, she had passed in the house and the story had been, everyone that had, that had lived in the house, the Lane Mansion, there was always a strip about this young girl appearing in the doorway, young girl in the doorway, and Leo was talking to someone after a seance. Uh, One night and someone was looking over his shoulder and he's like, why do you keep doing that? And the person said, well, why is there a young girl in this club? This is uh, late at night and it's 21 and over. So he turned around. Of course, there was no girl there, but this young girl in the doorway, I've never seen her. So I don't know can't really elaborate mm-hmm. yeah, it's, a,
4: it's, a, it's, a great, it's a nice Pretty. little spooker for yeah. sure but yeah.
6: Yeah. Uh, it sounds good and it makes good copy but I don't know
0: I'm a huge fan and find great inspiration in the life of Michael Jackson you probably know where I'm going with this I obsessively watch videos of the Neverland Ranch tours I mean I'm psh, the guy's fascinating and of course the music I think everyone in this room could say we're at the age right where we grew up with Michael <laughs> yeah. Jackson right oh, yeah, definitely. Rob I was wondering if you could share your experience that you happen to have with michael
6: oh yeah sure i guess it goes back to a saturday afternoon 11 years ago i'm not sure how many years he's, he's been gone. something like maybe i want to say 11 maybe 12 and uh Saturday afternoon friend calls a producer and he's like hey uh it's a party today 500 bucks do 10 minutes i remember it being sad i remember being really busy and i just wasn't it just wasn't something i was like gonna just jump in the car and do yeah
4: it's
6: like yeah i'm good I'm th- thanks but no it's like well, I just so you know, uh, it's for Michael Jackson. And then I said, well, I can make an arrangement. <laughs> uh, because like you, you know, I, I definitely had been obsessed with Michael Jackson. It wasn't the kind of music I l- listened to as a teenager or anything, but he was just all, just his progression in life was so uh, far out.
0: There's never been anyone like him yeah.
6: since, and there never has been before. Except for Corey Feldman, who I was also obsessed with.
4: But. Really? <laughs>
0: Probably just kind of like Michael Jr. at that. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> and, uh,
6: but in, interesting on a different level. But, right. Like, I would cut out." press clippings for both of them and just tape them on my wall wow tape them in my car sometimes yeah i just was like i don't know i just thought they were it was so out there yeah talk about like creating another world like those guys both well Corey kind of just hitched on a M- mj's but anyway that's besides the point so <laughs> so I, the, I, I tell my wife my hey, let's we're gonna go come with me let's go to we're going to michael this i i just assumed it was a big party You know, we're going to go to some big party and I'll do perform for my, maybe I'll see him. I don't know, you know, what the deal exactly is, Yeah. but I'm pretty happy about this. So I get there and I remember pulling up to his house. It was just off of Sunset Boulevard and Humbly Hills, not far from the um, Sunset Strip. Okay. So like maybe a half mile up right off Sunset going to the beach, but just off to the right there, right off Sunset. And I pull up and there's like, oh, there's tons, tons of people there. I'm like, oh, this is going to be like a rager. (laughs) (laughs) okay so get my car and i get my you know i got my suit and everything i'm you know plenty of time there's like you know a couple hours before the thing happens and so we walk up to the gate and the first thing i notice it's like march and there's christmas decorations like that's weird it's like you're having your Valentine's Day. Right.
3: <laughs> yeah,
4: that's right.
3: <laughs> hey, we're still in February. Last day.
6: On the wire. On the wire. <laughs> if I came to March 1st. <laughs> you'll find the St.
3: Patrick's Day one. Dory
6: green, are all be green. I'll be telling this story on another podcast. <laughs> Who knows where this is going. Uh, I was there. They seemed like normal people. (laughs) they had nice things (laughs) oh boy I hope not anyway uh, so yeah so it's weird you know like okay the house is it's like one of these he's massive it's a mansion you know but the the landscaping was brittle you Mm -hmm. know it was unkempt and dry you know and usually these places are lush and everything's operating as it you know normally as it should right. but this one had the little bit of gray gardens feel to it mm-hmm. right away i'm like that's weird so I we go up hey i'm you know i'm performing and they're like okay you can come in uh who's this oh yeah that's my wife she's assisting me no she's not just what? you mm. yeah so and you got to leave your phone and this is when cell, cell phones were still, they, it wasn't like an iPhone, but it was like it got a queue or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they took everything. And and I'm like,
4: sorry.
6: And I realized then at that point, though, that all these people, there's 30 people outside, they're just people that are taking pictures of the house. They're not going to the party.
0: Oh, like just paparazzi and stuff like that? And- like
6: teenage girls wow. and just Whoa. like MJ, kind of Corey Feldman, kind of. Like MJ people. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So whole, like it was just like, oh, ooh, it's going to be really interesting. And, you know? <laughs> so I go in, and all of a sudden, it's like, it's there's no one there. It's like, well, there's no party. Like, this is, I'm getting, this is, yeah, some weird. <laughs>
4: yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like I it. <laughs> <laughs>
6: I love the weirdness of <laughs> her, but it's like, ooh, okay. <laughs> so they shuffle me in this. Uh, exercise room with a bunch of you know treadmills, yeah, treadmills <laughs> and things of that nature, and then and then the producer of the show shows up and he's a juggler, and a hula hoop artist came, and I think a fire eater maybe it was it was like variety, so they wanted okay. like one of each, right? And I'm like where's the party? What is going on? You know, because there's just nobody there. And then the guy says, okay, here's what's going to happen: the party consists is going to consist of Michael and his three kids. That's the party. Four. Four wow. wow! Yeah, and so blankets seven. <laughs> He's turning seven.
0: That's his birthday.
6: That was it's his birthday. It's his yeah, birthday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, and then the other two, um, Prince, was it Paris? In Paris, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the four. And I'm like, okay. So and I've got a very specific act. It's like it's the weird character that you don't want to get too close to people with because. It's just strange, you know? Yeah. And it's even stranger when it's outdoors in Michael Jackson's backyard. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's all all so weird. So then then they kind of, they come from the house. We see them shuffling. The second they get outside, like it just took a second. And all of a sudden there's a helicopter overhead Mm -hmm. and it's hovering right over them. And the kids just par for the course. They just, they all have something like this and they just kind of go like this and they cover themselves like that. And MJ <laughs> wow. is has a hat on and glasses and has like a Elizabeth Taylor, you know, silk pajamas on. Yeah. And they're all just, they just all just cover their heads. It's like, oh, that's what we do when the thing comes about. Wow. Wow. It was really trippy. And so they, they go down to, uh, this pool, um, the, the yard goes is, is on a slope, and they're at the bottom of the slope down by this pool, and they're sitting on these deck chairs, and I'm informed we're to go down and do our act in front of the four of them by the pool while they're sitting in their deck chairs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, right. And it's so completely awkward and weird, but fantastic at the same time, because... Like I mentioned, I'd w- just wondered th- throughout my life, what is Michael Jackson doing right now?
4: What's he doing <laughs> <laughs> at this moment?
6: I know exactly what he's doing. Right, swaying for Old Z Dog.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
6: I mean, you know, it's like I know, and it's it's an incredible. It's like one of my best memories uh, because wow. it really wasn't like I had a true obsession with, with this guy yeah. and his, and his weird and his crazy life. They're like, okay, you're, you're going to be on, you're on next. So I see like the Hulu, Hulu artists is coming up. I'm like kind of going there with my props and, and there's music set and there, there. There's a guy down there queuing, you know, there's like a little sound. There's, there's like a, they were queuing it off of a little board. And so um, I'm walking down there and there's this pool that's dirty and there's a lot of leaves floating around in the in the pool. And then there's this pirate ship. And it's just banging against the side of the tile, okay. against <laughs> the, the pool. And it was so symbolic that, like, here's MJ in this house that's falling apart. And, of course, you know, I'd, I, I was up to speed. I had to give Neverland... Things weren't going great. Yeah, that was probably right around the time. Yeah, right? it was I mean, getting ready for the big tour, but you're going. You're like in the back of your like, what? Yeah, right. Sure, sure. This tour is going to happen. Like, I I was doubting it because yeah. it just seemed. It kind of just all seemed impossible. <clears throat> right. You know, the ship just resonated so hard with me because it seemed like this. It was like the Peter Pan gone bad. It was like right. the whole, the whole oh, thing wow. was just like it was. It just didn't. It was messed up, and it was sad. I'm like, oh god, this is kind of pathetic. And then I go over and I, and I look into the eyes of the four of them and then everything changed. It was amazing because they were so great. They were actually like a very grateful, sweet, small audience. They were waiting on every trick. They laughed at every little joke, whether they got it or not. Right. And they were just, they were wonderful. And I got to dance for MJ. You know, <laughs> just okay, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. show him a little yeah. shimmy and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> I specifically give a special dance because I know like how good of a dancer he is. Oh, so like yes. so yeah. well, I need to show him something that he's never seen. To, to, to actually entertain this guy, you know, you can't just do a time step or right. shuffle off to Buffalo. You have to like
0: really The Zabrecki butt wiggle.
4: You might have to see that. (laughs) Cue the video. Yeah, good one.
6: Uh, But so for me, it was like, well, I just want to hide the one and dance out of time as much as possible because I figured that will entertain this man who is so yeah, you know, so dialed in. And his kids, I'm sure too, were probably had a good sense of like all this exactly. So the, the once I start moving my body out of time. They were the best audience ever. They were laughing and they were giggling at a point. Look at how that's, you know, he's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly what they exactly said, but it was like, it was great. And I knew, and I was in on it, and it was all fine yeah. and good. And I bowed, and I, you know, confetti was everywhere, and I walked away. And, and uh, it was a really beautiful moment, you know. Wow. About three months later, I was coming back from Las Vegas with some friends, and we were coming down the 15. My wife called she said, you have to turn the news right now. She hung up and there it was. He had died in that house where right where I performed. Wow. Where the, yeah, you know, would on the, the drugs. Unbelievable. It was, it was a really kind of a surreal, like I've gone back to the house. If I'm, if I'm driving yeah, hear from there, I'll pull over and kind of just like, I'm like, what, what can I really remember from that? And it just it it really was a, a pretty ama- amazing little moment, yeah, I don't know why he chose me um but I just the right place right time I guess and and I could have hung up that phone that day you know if, if he didn't say you know who it was it would <clears throat> yeah. it would have been really that would that would you know oh, but then the weird thing was so then he passes I was living in Mount Washington at the time I was having lunch like that Monday, somebody knocks on my door and we live way up in the, a mountain in Mount Washington like we're up there. A quarter mile up a hill an a, a frame that you have to walk sixty seven steps. Wow. <laughs> We're like it's a it's a trek to us. And somebody knocks on the door. I'm like what the, what's going on? And they're like, are you Robert Zabrcki? <laughs>
4: <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah. And the reporters started coming to my door, wanting this to hear this story. Wow. And they wanted to bring me on the news. And People Magazine offered me like a ton of money to tell the story.
0: No way. Wow. Yeah.
6: And uh, wow. and it was just like. It was weird you know but I, I i told the story to one publication for free they and then it got reprinted into a bunch of other things that just kind of grabbed it and re you know posted or pasted it in there within their own kind of narrative but but some of the performers greedily thought well i'm gonna hold off and wait for the oh the, new, the ellen <laughs> show to come yeah yeah which exactly of course never happened i thought it was really disgusting <laughs> yeah you know i do like telling the story because it's a positive story in that they were happy. Like, those he and those kids looked yeah. like they were four peas in a pod and they were having a little party for blanket. And even though that they got to cover themselves and <sighs> they go outside and however weird their lives were at that moment, they were, you know, really enjoying themselves.
0: Well, and the interesting thing oh. too is if you were doing the odd man act for them, if that's what you were doing, I bet a lot of what you were doing in the act really resonated with them as they were watching, you know, feeling like, you know, the introvert feeling like the odd man out. For sure. Definitely.
6: Because, you know, they, they're they probably used to seeing flashy, show performances. And yeah. suddenly this guy is like maybe hitting a nerve. I mean, they didn't say that but it. I felt connected with them yeah. know, on that level which was great
0: wow yeah. I can only imagine being in the car with your wife on the way after that show just pouring out detail, of oh, detail. probably for weeks that's probably all you would talk about what else <laughs> yeah she just been, what else, what yeah, else? exactly
6: she probably wanted to crawl in your brain oh, yeah. right silk <laughs> so, so pajamas what color yeah. blue dark blue right right
0: meanwhile she's Lippers. at Denny's down the street on Sunday, you know yeah. waiting for you. <laughs> oh
6: I know i know she she could probably tell her version of the story which would probably be pretty interesting right right now is there such thing as well
5: for lack of a better word writer's block like you're trying to come up with something new something unique something different and it
6: just it's not working does that happen to you i definitely get writer's block and but when that happens you know i just kind of pick up other projects that are in other stages of development that i know i can connect other dots in other areas because it it is what i do i mean it's 12 13 hours every day working on different projects and, oh, and so right when i'm stuck on one thing i just kind of go to another and then it's a full-time obsession for me and i cry a lot of art tears i call them art tears <laughs> when things crash and like you know you spend i had to spend 13 hours working rewriting a, a story and then i sent it to an editor friend he's like yeah it's terrible and you just Aww. go, yeah, oh, Aww. Aww. and you cry, and you go, all right, girl, what can I salvage nothing, okay, what did I learn nothing? What am I gonna do? move on, yeah, okay, so yeah, I mean, I guess you know there's there's a fair amount of that, but at this point, I'm used to. Blocks and I've had projects that have have actually been in development for ten, like ten years. Beautiful
5: thing is you're always going to have an audience. I hope so. People love magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
6: <laughs> I think in magic I will as long as I I kind of created the odd man character knowing that he can grow old. You know I think in music I'd always saw at least with rock bands there all seem to be like an expiration date. There's a few handful of bands that have that have exceeded. That,
0: that are timeless. Yeah, I mean, you've managed to create a character that's an icon. Like, you're, you're Frankenstein, you're Dracula, you know, something that will never go out of style. It's classic. Yeah. You know? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I
6: hope so. I mean, and if it does, I hope I've got the smarts to hang it up or, you know, have someone... Tell me.
4: <laughs> but I,
6: I do surround myself with people who, who like to berate me and tell me that uh, I'm almost good. And, you know,
4: <laughs> that's how you get stuff done,
6: right? It's like you're always like, yeah. you know, you can't, have, you, you can't be around too many yes people. Sure. No, for you sure. Know? For sure.
4: If there's a certain time period you go back to to talk to a certain magician, like would you go back to the Victorian time period? Is there someone there? Or in the 20s? Or like there's someone oh, you're like, hey, yeah. let me... That's great,
6: boy, that's a good question. Um, off the top of my head, I mean, it would it would be really fascinating to talk to Houdini because he was yeah. the first superstar. Mm-hmm. He was really like, he was a household name, 1900 till until his death, really. He did a lot of really good stuff. I mean, not when he was, when he achieved all that ex- success, he was doing a million other things. He's, he wrote, mm-hmm. he was the president of a magic organization. And he was just doing all of these, like, very, very busy man. And I think... He really pushed the art form forward, and I, I, I definitely had a, had a few questions for him.
4: Oh yeah, he's yeah. a good one. I mean, his legacy still goes on.
6: I mean, that was the thing was like when he, when he died, his the deal was Bessie, it was her crusade at that point to keep his name in the public eye, and Doctor Saint, who ended up doing this this séance with her, didn't They ended up getting married, and that was just keep his name in the papers, and that was it. And then when, I think in the eighties, when Madonna started becoming famous. She went on record saying, I want a career like Houdini's because he's gone. No one knows what the hell he did, really. <laughs> but man, do they go, oh, my cat's name's Houdini. He can do anything. <laughs> it's true. It yeah. is true. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, I think um, they achieved that. I'd rather be forgotten. I think when I'm done, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
4: just
6: like, oh no! Right, good luck, buddy. You live in the internet age. That's true. Yeah. It's witnessing. Yeah, but every see, but everything's indelible. See, every, but everybody's history is being written. So there's mm-hmm. there, it, it, it's easier to uh, fall in the cracks, maybe.
3: Right. So besides Michael Jackson's house, it's kind of hard to beat. What is the coolest other place you've performed?
6: I mean, Brookledge would would definitely yeah um, definitely yeah. And I've been to several continents, many many countries, from you know Tokyo to all throughout Europe, Canada, of course, all the through the states. There's no other place like Brookledge. There's no other place like the Magic Castle. So performing at those venues is really dreamy. You know, you're yeah. up, you're up there, and you're just really kind of it's 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 like being here now. You just kind of you're just tripping out on all of it, and it's amazing. And you just hope that you remember it later, that that incredible film. Because it's an ephemeral thing. It's a live thing. It's not something where you're sitting in front of a computer. You can watch it over and over again. It happens one time. And one time with this group of people where they're really going to get it over here. Or they're going to be really affected by this thing. Or maybe I'm in a mood, so I'm going to push this weird thing. There's all these weird factors that will never happen again. And that's really thrilling to me. And to do it in those venues is just it makes it the whole thing totally
0: worth it. It's, it's also something that, like, it doesn't always translate the best over camera. It's more something you need to be there in person to be a part of, which is very rare these days. Yeah, precisely. In
2: that, the ephemeralness of it, it's the only, it's one of the only art forms left, if not the only art form left, wherein that's true where it only exists in that room, really. You know, there's the TV shows, like the David Blaine TV show, where people will pass those videos around because it's like, oh my God, because it's all in one shot. But to be in the room, like nothing, nothing surpasses that.
6: Nothing. And, and I spent 15 years of my creative life at the Magic Castle, primarily, where I didn't want to be a famous... My goal wasn't to be a famous <clears throat> celebrity or to be on a reality TV show or what any of that stuff. It was like, create a weird experience... For people in this room so they can go home and tell their friends about this lurchy odd man who they ended up you know wanting to hug whatever yeah, yeah but but the point is i that that was really exciting to me is like it's like being in a play really we live in this age yeah where everything is replayed and watched and shared and it's also you know instant and fast to get anyone out in a turn their phones off for 40 minutes it's an exciting time to be in magic i would say which is really refreshing kind of didn't see this coming who knows how long it'll last but it's nice to be here at this time
1: you're hacking your way through another episode of the boo crew
0: This was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode number eight. Big thanks to our special guest, Rob Zabrecki. Find out what he's up to at RobZabrecki.com and Rob Zabrecki on Twitter and Instagram. Also, thanks to our featured band, Dead Man's Bones. Get their album on iTunes and wherever you stream music, Facebook.com slash Dead Man's Bones. And check out Zach and Maisie from the band's new project, Night Things, at Office of Night Things on Facebook and Instagram. If you can, hit up iTunes, rate the show, write us a quick review. It helps the show get found and helps us bring more horror awesomeness your way. Shrieks out this week we <laughs> Stephanie Lee Ricky Smith Robert Curtis Marina Alexa Anna Maria Quintero and our entire Facebook group for keeping the combo going and thank you for listening till next time
1: see you on the other side thanks for listening to another episode of The Boo Crew Podcast Hot The Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales From The Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram follow us on Twitter at Tales From The Boo The Boo Crew is Leone D'Antonio Lauren and Trevor Shand Austin and Rachel Tahada the boo crew is produced by Lauren Shan chopped and sliced by
4: Trevor Shan The boo crew is a TSP creation Stephanie.